0: 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Peter writes this. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good.
1: Good evening. Oh, response, good. Lovely to see you all. Uh, it's great to see you all come out this evening for the next installment uh, in our Sunday evenings sermon series in 1 Peter. Uh, I do hope our time together will be truthful and uh, fruitful and helpful. It would be great if you keep that passage open, as we'll be referring back to it, Um, but uh, let me begin again with some prayer. Uh, Lord God, uh, thank you that you are our creator God, Lord of all, and for whom nothing is outside of your perfect plans. So thank you that we are precisely where you planned for us to be this evening, and that is here, together, to hear your words spoken and considered. Thank you for this opportunity to learn more about how to live in a way pleasing to you. Thank you for the privilege it is for me to lead us through this passage. Please guide me by your spirit to speak in truth and love and clarity. And please open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this evening. Amen. Great. Well, so following on from last week, uh, when Mitch took us through the first half of chapter 4, and how the gospel shapes... The thought life of Christians and leads to an unmistakable transformation. Tonight, we'll be working through the second half of the chapter to unpack the key things God is telling us about how we should conduct ourselves when we suffer for this transformation. So where do we begin with this evening? Perhaps not where you thought we might be starting. Uh, when was the last time you walked into a lamppost? <laughs> Have you ever walked into a lamppost? It is painful, but I've gone one better, and I've managed to uh, actually walk, run into a wall. Um, as a 14-year-old, playing a version of tag where when someone's got the ball and they throw it at you, and if it hits you, you're it, uh, a friend of mine cornered me against a wall. Now, without getting into too much detail, he threw the ball, I ducked away, and smashed my front teeth on this little edge of the wall. I badly chipped one, foot, one tooth and knocked the other one out completely. Now, these are my adult teeth, so that was it. No teeth. Um, And I've had a false tooth ever since. Now, whether it's a lamppost or a wall or something worse, while it might be funny for onlookers, it's not that much funny for the sufferer. It can be painful, both physically and emotionally. And this, for me, was painful. I was unprepared for the impact. Uh, I wasn't happy about it. There followed years of reconstructive dental work. And at no point did I think this was good for me, because because my mouth was still growing, I couldn't actually have a fixed denture, so I had a tooth on a plate, a bit like you might have a brace on. So you can imagine what it's like for a teenager. I spent most of my teenage years fearing that my tooth would fall out at any moment. So no, there was nothing going to be good coming out of this suffering for me. Now let's widen that lens, the lens of that analogy a little further. Life is tough there is often suffering we're all touched by hardship so what have you had to contend with what has caused you physical or emotional harm was it unexpected how unhappy did that make you and did you think anything good would come of it and a Christian life is not special in that respect is it the same tragedies hit us as they do non-Christians but there is a reality of suffering directly because of our faith as we live in loving, distinctive service of the Lord. Being a Christian is countercultural. We hold different views to the world around us, which is an added challenge. This might seem strange. Why does God not make it easy for us? If we're so blessed, why do we suffer? It's a bit confusing. Now, at this juncture, it might be uh, good to set out a proper, biblically informed understanding of what suffering for our faith is but that's not actually what our passage is about. For the basis of our time this evening, all we can say is that there is suffering in our lives as a result of what we say or do or act as a distinctive Christian or because of the fall, which could manifest itself in worldly injustices or natural disasters or simply just the way things are. But in some ways, this is irrelevant since God is Lord of all. We're precisely where he wants us to be. It's for our good and for his glory if we are given in any given situation, whether it's wonderful or whether it's tragic. So, as we turn to our passage, the question we have before us is not why we suffer or even what we suffer, but as Christians, how should we conduct ourselves in the face of suffering for our faith? How? Should we conduct ourselves in the face of suffering for our faith? As we work through the passage, Peter offers us three different ways in which we as Christians should conduct ourselves in relation to suffering. So, my preference tonight is that while it might not seem like it, in considering these three statements, we will see that there is an unmistakable blessing at the heart of suffering. So 1 Peter, sometimes described as the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and of the conduct it inspires, is an encouragement to early Christians across the scattered, civilized world at a time of discrimination, hardship, and growing persecution. As we will see from the passage, following Christ's own example of suffering and knowing that the end of time is near, Peter encourages and prepares his readers to endure in the face of inevitable suffering for their faith, and to rejoice, knowing that God is with them at work through their suffering and that they will share in his glory. So with that in mind, let's now turn to our passage and begin to see how we should conduct ourselves in the face of suffering. So please turn with me in your Bibles and let's read verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So let's first note who this is written to, beloved or dear friends or loved ones. There's compassion shown here by Peter for his readers. He has a genuine affection for them. But there's more to it. If you look down at verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. This is not just people that Peter loves. He is writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ. They are precious not just to him, but also to God. They are Christ's by name. They belong to him and are a part of his family. And yet, for all his tender opening address, what comes next is a bit of a contrast. Verse 12 again. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Hardly the words of a compassionate, caring friend, you might think. Instead of warmth, there is a warning. Beware fiery or painful trials. But note the certainty of the statement. It is not if these fiery trials come upon you, but when. We are not to be surprised. This is going to happen. If you follow Christ, then you will experience discomfort, challenge, and pain. So if we are going to experience this, surely it's better to know about it than not. It is precisely because Peter loves those he is writing to that he tells them of this suffering. He wants them to be prepared. He wants them to face up to what is ahead without fear and to overcome it, knowing that they can be equipped to face it. The Bible leads us in all truth. The Bible does not lead us in all that is lovely and sugar-coated. So imagine, it's a bit like going for a paddle in the sea. There we go. After you've made those first few tentative steps into the water and it's over your knees, you can start to get a bit of buffeting from the waves as they crash against you. So what do you do to stop being bowled over? Well, as you see the swell ahead, and just as the wave breaks against you, you brace yourself. You place your legs slightly apart and tense your body. You prepare for the imminent impact of the wave since you know it's coming. In a similar way, we suffer for our faith. when we are sidelined by our friends, or our, um, our jobs are at risk as we stand up for our faith. We should remind ourselves that this was coming, it was inevitable. It then stands to realize the reason: if we are to expect it, then we would be prudent to prepare for it. And how do we do this? By ensuring that our faith is built on solid ground. And what is that solid ground? Well, Peter has told us this in this this very letter. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Quoting Isaiah, Peter is pointing to Christ as the chief cornerstone. So hold dear to scripture, old and new. Grow in your knowledge and wisdom of God through studying it. Always look to test what the Bible has to say about all aspects of your life. What does it teach on grief? What about persecution? What about temptation? Heed Peter's warning. Get ready in the good times, because when the darker days come and you're not prepared, well, in the midst of that suffering, we may seek comfort in the wrong place. In our bitterness, misunderstand why these things are happening to us. Has God really abandoned me? In our anxiety, forget what the Bible tells us in our desire for self-preservation, dismiss what Jesus did for us. And even in our anger, blame God and reject him. Remember, we can rely on Christ, the chief cornerstone. We will always be able to turn to him in prayer, even in our darkest times, when we feel ill-equipped and helpless. He will see us through. So, as Christians, how should we conduct ourselves in the face of suffering for our faith? We should expect our suffering. Now at this point, it might be worth taking a brief look at our lives and consider, are we suffering for our faith? If, we, if I'm to expect suffering, as Peter says here, and I'm not, is there a reason? In which case, we should challenge ourselves and perhaps ask, am I sharing God's love and his saving message with those around me? Am I distinctive in the way in which I live out my life and in the decisions I make? If not, then perhaps over the next few days we should reflect on this. Let's return to the text and read the next section, 13 to 18, to see what comes next. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now, you might be forgiven for feeling a bit glum here. Thanks, Peter, for all this good news about suffering. But then comes a glorious counterpoint. Yes, suffering is coming, verse 13, but... Now, whenever someone tells you something good, we have that phrase, don't we? Well, there's a but coming, isn't there? What's the catch? What's the problem? However, here, that but is positive. Yes, we are going to suffer, but what do we do? We rejoice. I beg your pardon. How does that work? Well, to help us, Peter sets out when suffering is a cause of celebration and when it is not. Let's take the latter of those first. See verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. That's a a busybody. Peter is highlighting that suffering for our own failings, for our sinful nature, is not pleasing to God. This is not to say that God deserts us. There is in no sense in which God says, well, I warned you, you've only got yourself to blame. No, remember who God is. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. No, he does not forsake us, but nor should we celebrate the effects of our sin. So what about the first point? When are we to rejoice? Peter points out we are not alone in our suffering, and it has a purpose. Look back at verse 13. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here, Peter is not saying we are to endure through gritted teeth, but genuinely rejoice because in suffering, we share with Christ. Now, anything we experience is incomparable to what Jesus suffered in our place when he was rejected, persecuted, flogged, mocked, tortured, crucified, and bore the sins of the world. But our suffering does bring us closer to him more like him and shows we belong to him that is a privilege and that's not all we are also sharing in his glory yes there will be tough times but they are nothing compared to the glories of Jesus's triumphant return sin and death will be beaten rejoice in in anticipation of that glorious day now if that sounds like a tough ask then take courage Because we have help. Verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So stay strong. The Holy Spirit is at work. Equipping us for the trials before us. As it says there in verse 16. Let him not be ashamed. Peter knew all about shame. When the cock crowed and he had rejected Christ three times. He's saying here, don't make the same mistakes I did. Instead, glorify God in that name. You belong to Christ. So follow him, suffer like him, but rejoice with him. Now, recently we had a family trip to the Anniversary Games in the Olympic Park. It's an athletics event held to celebrate the success of the Olympics. It's also a chance for some of the Olympic heroes to uh, compete and for us to cheer them all on. Now, we had a a great time, but there are other spectators there who had a little bit more fun. Uh, I guess you uh, can guess the sort of people I'm talking about. The superfan. All decked out in national colours, cheering on their heroes. No doubt, uh, there's no one in any doubt about who they are supporting and where their loyalties lie or who they belong to. They share with the stars the pre-start nerves, the agony of injury, and the joy of winning. You can imagine they might even compete in the same events themselves for a club. So they know a little of the sacrifice, the pain of competing, and the suffering of defeat, but also the glory of victory. Now, in some ways, the same can be said in this passage. We Christians follow Christ in the way we live. We wear his colors. We have a sense of his sufferings and glory as we too suffer and rejoice in a similar but smaller way. So what might this look like for us? When you're challenged for taking a stand on what marriage is and how love is sacrificing your needs for your spouse. Or when you're labelled homophobic, when you explain the biblical view on sexuality and while you're against discrimination, you can't endorse a particular lifestyle. Or it's maybe more subtle. Offering forgiveness to someone that doesn't deserve it could be seen as weak. Or we might get taken advantage of for showing humility in the face of unfair treatment. When this happens, recall these truths. This is God molding you into something wonderful, being more Christ-like. He's doing it through his spirit, and he's preparing you for the trials before you and a glorious future. And all the while, you are glorifying him. So, as Christians... How should we conduct ourselves in the face of suffering for our faith? We should expect suffering. Do not be surprised. Instead, be prepared. We should also rejoice in our suffering. Strange though it may sound, we might share the bad times, but also the great times with Christ. We are supercharged by the Holy Spirit working in us, and we bring glory to the Father. doesn't seem so strange now, does it? Which brings us to our final section from our passage. So let's go to verses 17 to 19. Read this with me. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good to return to an issue raised earlier in the chapter Peter brings judgment into the equation he warns us that the end of time is upon us Jesus will return and we are to be prepared because judgment begins with the house of God with us remember this letter is for Christians and Peter has those who have heard and believed the good news of Jesus Christ in his sights And what will happen to us if we do not obey? Here, Peter reiterates his rhetorical warning by quoting Proverbs 11.31. If the righteous is scarcely saved, if it's hard enough for those trying to follow Christ, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? This is a direct warning to those in the church not following Christ. If we are willfully and continually turning away from him, then he will turn away from us. God is perfect and cannot tolerate sin. And when Christ returns, there will be no hiding. Knowing God to be who he is and still not obey him, but instead trust in our own abilities, is futile and leads to despair and ultimately our destruction. So what are we to do? Well, verse 19, Therefore, or instead of following this ungodly path, those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We are to trust our lives to God. He's preparing us. The fiery trials of verse 12 are from God. Tests to prove genuine faith. A process of purification. Being made more Christ-like. Romans eight twenty-eight. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It is of his design and making, not ours and it is for a reason known to him. So, as Paul states a few verses later, what then shall we say in response to these things, to this suffering? If God is for us, who can be against us? Trusting ourselves, thinking that we are the ones to sort out our mess, leads to resentment, anger, blame, and failure. Trusting in God leads to freedom from anxiety, and, while we might not see it yet, ultimately, freedom from the pain that we are experiencing. Now, this isn't meant to be a catalogue of my physical suffering, but while living in London playing football, I dislocated my shoulder. If you've ever done that, it is excruciatingly painful. I got taken to a and I got given gas and air to ease the pain, and after about four hours, they gave me a general anaesthetic, popped it back in, and all was well. Fast forward six months, and I'm in southern Africa. I'm sandboarding amongst the sand dunes of the Namib desert. I take a tumble, and out pops my shoulder again. So here I was, in complete pain, but this time miles from anything. Now, on my tour was an Aussie student doctor called Marty. Now, he knew that the longer that my shoulder was out, the more damage it would cause. He also knew how to put it back in, but as a junior doctor... He hadn't done it very often. Um, He explained all this to me and that the process would be even more painful because I didn't have any pain relief, but he didn't think he'd trap any nerves. It was risky, uh, but better than traveling for a day to find a hospital. Now, I was in so much agony, I couldn't really think straight, but I let him do it, and it was a success. My shoulder was only out for a couple of minutes, and it was okay for the rest of my trip. Now, I can look back with greater understanding and rejoice in what he'd done for me. He had my best interests at heart. Now, in some ways, it's much the same for us as Christians. Now, happily, we don't have to trust in an unqualified Aussie doctor. But we can completely entrust our lives to God, our faithful creator who has our lives mapped out. So when we are are suffering, we so often call out, Why? Why, God, is this happening to me? Remember these words of Peter's. Have no fear. God is with you. Trust in him. Trust his word. Trust his power. Trust in the power of prayer. Trust him to provide that loving support when you need it. Trust him for the inner strength to keep going. God knows more than we can comprehend. He leads us through the storms and out the other side and knows how we will be so much better for it. So, as Christians... How should we conduct ourselves in the face of suffering for our faith? We should expect our suffering. Do not be surprised. Instead, be prepared. We should rejoice in our suffering. We are sharing with Christ, being made more like Him and glorifying to the Father. And finally, we should trust through our suffering. There we go. God has got our backs, He knows what we are going through, why it is happening. And how good it's going to be for us when he delivers us from it. Now, in conclusion, as we consider these three responses to suffering, some percent potential preconceptions that we as Christians might fall into. Suffering for our faith is not due to our bad actions that we are to be delivered from. No, they are defining moments in our Christian lives. They are stepping stones, not stumbling blocks. Suffering is not a sign that God wants us to be unhappy. No, they are a sign he wants us to be more Christ-like. We are pots of clay, moulded by a master craftsman into something beautiful. Suffering is not to be ignored. No, it is something to be prepared for. So grapple with thorny subjects like suffering when we can, so we are ready when they come. Suffering is not to be exaggerated. No, think of brothers and sisters across the world they're suffering and they are truly under threat. Our lives are relatively blessed. So maintain some perspective. Suffering is not, however, to be dismissed either. In this age, we are being increasingly sidelined by a secular culture. So keep going and stand firm for the gospel. In our Christian lives, we will walk into some lampposts. We may even run into some walls. It can be hard, painful, and at times feel like nothing good can ever come of this situation. But in the same way that I can actually look back on that episode episode with my teeth and say, it was actually good for me and prepared me for greater tragedies that were to come, so we can all look at the challenges of our Christian lives and see how God equipped us to cope for the greater challenges to come. So remember, in suffering as Christians, we share Christ's pain and joy and are united with him it does not destroy us, but purifies us. And I hope that we can now see that suffering for other faith is, in fact, an unmistakable blessing. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for our time this evening, for this opportunity to pour over your word and learn from it. Thank you for this instruction in what to do in the face of suffering by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, please guide us and equip us to suffer for our faith and to do so expectantly, rejoicefully, and all the while trusting in your everlasting love for us. Amen.